Welcome to Church Ahead, the weekly Christian podcast talking about big questions facing the future of church with Rev L all the way from the north of England. Episode 15, where we compared the impact of abuse on church with the abuse in football. You know how safe I felt as a child at church compared with school and street. But church is not the only place to discover the depressing reality that its most trusted leaders have sexually abused children in their care. So let's make a comparison. My football club, Manchester City, have had quite a serious abuse scandal of their own. A man called Barry Bennell was a scout and coach for our youth teams in the late 1970s. Eight men have tried to sue the club for compensation in relation to the abuse they experienced under Bennell's coaching regime. These are men of my age, from my home city and probably my sort of background. I can imagine how starstruck and compliant they would have been if they thought they had a chance to play for Manchester City. It's not hard to see what a hold this man would have had over those boys. In our world, getting into heaven and playing for City would have not seemed very different, and any gatekeeper would have had a lot of power over boys like me. Like the church, the football club was slow to accept the truth and slow to make amends. Like the church, sports clubs now have safeguarding rules and training about how to keep youngsters safe. In that sense, sports clubs and churches have both moved with the times. But what I'm interested in is the different impact of abuse on these different organisations. As far as I can see, there's not been a very devastating effect on top football clubs. Over the past generation, these clubs have thrived. They have more money, they pay higher wages, their fan attendance has grown, the grounds are bigger, better and more comfortable, they enjoy favourable media coverage, they play a significant role in race relations and civic pride. Last year, one of our local Manchester United players, Marcus Rashford, was able to force the government into a policy U-turn on the funding of school dinners by campaigning against a government with a massive majority. The power and prestige of Premier League football only ever seems to grow. So what difference has their own abuse scandal made? Not much overall, as far as I can see. The powerful industry of professional football hasn't been dented very much by the revelations of abuse in their midst. Now let's consider how clerical sexual abuse of children has affected the Christian church. I'm going to pick out 10 effects at random. Number one, lives ruined. I'm not even going to say anything about this because I don't want to trivialise the experience of victims. Number two, numbers down. Church attendance is not declining evenly across all age groups. 
the fastest declining age group is children. No surprise there, is there? If one generation discovers that children are not safe in church, it's hardly surprising the next generation of parents are less likely to take young children to church or encourage their older children to go there on their own. Of course, abuse is not the only factor driving children away from church, but surely it must be part of it. Trusted with children, no more. Church has always done lots of ministry and all sorts of services for children. The nation still trusts us to run quite a lot of church schools. Churches run holiday camps and venture camps. But for understandable reasons, society is less willing to trust us with the welfare of children. Ordained school chaplains have had an important role in the life of many schools, both liturgical and pastoral. They've run services and they've helped the school to care for children. But slowly, over time, some of them are finding that as the schools reorganise themselves, the role of the chaplain is edited out in the pastoral care process. And as for church schools, well, expect the voices of those who don't like them to grow louder. Four, costs up. Pretty much every church organisation needs to employ a professional safeguarding officer to train and monitor good practice in taking care of children and vulnerable adults. This is not free. I suppose it's an investment of sort in the future. The really depressing figures are those to do with past failures costing the church a lot of money. This week my newspaper talked about the Catholic Diocese of Camden in the American state of New Jersey. They've reached a settlement of $87.4 million with 300 victims. And that's not even the whole of New Jersey, just one part of it. And that in a diocese that filed for bankruptcy in 2020. A diocese that's already broke and has got to find that money, perhaps with its insurers. I was amazed to read this, but then when I dug into the story a bit further, I realised how naive I was to be shocked by that sum of $87 million, because in 2007, the Archdiocese of Los Angeles agreed to pay 500 victims a settlement amounting to $660 million. Oh, and what do you think that does to next year's church insurance premium? Five, donations down. Abuse is a financial double whammy for church coffers because not only do they have to pay out compensation to the abused and all the safeguarding training, but their income is affected. How many people have paused their hand over the collection plate as they were about to put money on and asked themselves, do I really want to give my money to pay for abuse payoffs? Do I really feel enthusiastic enough about this organisation to give generously anymore? 6. Volunteering Down Churches run on armies of volunteers. Who wants to be a volunteer Sunday school teacher in an organisation where children have been abused? I haven't got figures for this, but are you seriously telling me 
that the abuse scandal would make no difference to people's willingness to volunteer. 7. Trust in clergy down. Clergy play an important role in church life, and there is a sense that a bit like the police, they can only exercise their ministry by consent. They need the people's trust, and that trust has been shattered. There is a sense in which lay people allow clergy to lead the church because they see them as closer to God. Well, what if it looks like quite a few of them are closer to the devil? 8. Clergy self-confidence down. It seems to me that when any occupational group is found to have let the side down, their own sense of themselves suffers too. The last training course I went on as a clergyman was a safeguarding training day. And what do you think was the course I went on before that? It was a safeguarding training day, same course. And what was the one before that? The same course. In fact, over the past 20 years, the only training I've received in ordained ministry has been safeguarding. How do you think that makes me feel? I understand the need to drill clergy in high standards in their ministry towards children and vulnerable adults. I get it. I get the need for this. But what I can't help noticing is that it's the only training they ever asked me to do. And that leaves me with the depressing thought that I'm seen only as a potential problem. He's a disaster waiting to happen. So let's make sure the disaster doesn't come. What do you think this does for clergy morale? When clergy know that one of the top words associated with priests is the word paedophile, what do you think that does for their sense of vocation? Number nine, Episcopal caution up. I don't think bishops are stupid people. If they keep pushing me on expensive safeguarding courses, that tells me something. And what it tells me is that an awful lot of clergy are still not careful enough. When the Covid pandemic struck, it was no surprise to me that the archbishops were very keen to close all churches immediately giving no licence for clergy to do anything in their churches at all, not even saying prayers. What's happened to make bishops so wary of clergy behaving well to further the work of the church rather than undermine it? Well, how about the abuse scandal? 10. Good name lost. Surely the general public judges us on the back of how it sees us behave. If they see us feed the hungry and comfort the lonely and console the bereaved, then our stock rises. If they hear about us abusing thousands of children, our stock falls. Our good name and goodwill have taken a big hit. I said I was going to give you 10 impacts of abuse on church, but there's so much to this. I can't help myself giving you at least two more. 11. Apologetics to apologising. As a confident Christian young man, I learned and then trained others in how to argue for the Christian faith, how to answer the most common objections, 
how to set out the best cards Christianity has to play, why we should believe in God, what's special about Jesus, how can we be sure of the afterlife, etc. My Oxford Theological College was big on this skill, which we called apologetics, from the Greek word apologia, an answer or reply. Well, if I were that young man today going into the school dining hall as the marked Christian, then I think I would find myself bumbling an apology. I'd be saying sorry for the church rather than promoting its message. The abuse tragedy shifts Christians from the offensive to the defensive in their conversations with the wider world. Number 12. Bring the police in. The Christian church has always had a culture of sorting out its own disputes and problems. A sense that we know we're not perfect, but when something goes wrong, we can sort it out ourselves. We don't need secular courts or lawyers. So, for instance, there was a collective recoil when some clergy started joining trades unions. Well, what I hear from the organisations that work with victims of clerical abuse is the message that if you've been sexually abused, don't go to the bishop, go straight to the police. Now that's a big change in church life, bringing the secular criminal authority into the internal life of the Christian community. That's quite a sea change. I've always seen police as an important backstop against the awful things that might happen to me in the big wide world. When I used to go to football matches, there were hundreds and hundreds of police around and it was obvious why they were there. But if you tell me that I might need a police officer to help me sort out what goes on in church, well, that makes me feel very different about church. There's now a cloud over what I thought church was. My sense is that the abuse problem represents a significant milestone in church decline. In a growing, thriving industry like Premier League football, it seems to bounce off. Football clubs experienced the shame of abuse, but were largely unscathed. With the church, it seems to hit us where we're already weak and then cripple us a bit more. It's like a virus that preys on a weak body with low immunity. It's a bit like the high street struggling and weakening and then along comes the pandemic and we see 10 years decline in two. Church was already in decline before clerical abuse of minors became so visible. Abuse hasn't started decline but it surely marks an acceleration. C.S. Lewis in the Screwtape Letters imagines a senior demon, Screwtape, schooling junior demon, Wormwood, in the art of drawing Christians into temptation and bringing Christianity down. Lewis covers a good range of human foibles and doesn't avoid the subject of sex, but I can tell you that not one of those 31 letters covers sexual abuse of children. The book was written during the Second World War, long before the abuse scandal broke. Now, I don't believe in a literal devil, 
an intelligent personality behind evil. But when you look at the effect of abuse on the church, it seems almost plausible that this is a brilliantly designed way of hitting the church where it hurts, of hitting the church where it's weak, and where it will keep on hurting for a long time. And I'm not sure we've even seen the full impact yet. Whether we've reached peak abuse revelation, I have no idea. But it seems unlikely to me that we've yet seen the full effect of this humbling experience on the church, on the way we see ourselves when we take a long, hard look in the mirror, or on the way the rest of the world sees us if we dare to look outside. Thank you for listening to episode 15. We've got two more weeks of talking about abuse and then we're going to lighten up for our end of term summer pop festival.